How many podcasts are there in the world? Even if you listen to podcasts a lot, you won't be able to listen to all 2,960,997 podcasts listed by podcast search engine Listen Notes. Truth be told, most of those are inactive, but podcast data from 2021 shows there were still 850,000 actively producing new episodes, which is still way too many to listen to. One that you should listen to if you're not already is The String, which Listen Notes ranks as one of the top 5% most popular shows worldwide. Doing the math, this means that there are easily four times as many Olympic athletes around the globe as there are podcasters who have scored as many listeners as The String's Craig Havikhurst. Hey, maybe we should have a podcasting Olympics. The String is a weekly show on WMOT Roots Radio out of Middle Tennessee State near Nashville, with veteran journalist Craig Havikhurst interviewing a who's who of music artists and featuring their music on the radio and on podcast platforms all around the globe. Before moving to Nashville in the 1990s, Craig called North Carolina home, and he returned to the Old North State last September for the inaugural Earl Scruggs Music Festival, where we recorded a conversation touching on artists from North Carolina like Aaron Burdett, River Wireless, and Scruggs Fest featured artists Fireside Collective and Chatham Rabbits, plus up-and-comer Christina Vane, who calls Nashville home. You will get to hear music excerpts of all of those artists in this episode. Of course, we also talk about the festival's namesake, Earl Scruggs, who grew up in nearby Cleveland County, North Carolina. It is a lively conversation with one of the best podcasters and music journalists you will ever find, in my humble opinion, as we welcome Craig Havikhurst to this episode of Southern Songs and Stories. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jambase, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. It was a beautiful late summer morning on Labor Day weekend 2022 when Craig Havikhurst and I set up an open-air studio on the balcony of a building that had been converted into the media room at the heart of the 1,600-acre Tryon International Equestrian Center. Here's Craig Havikhurst. Hey, Joe, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing excellent, Craig. Thanks. It's Saturday morning, day two of uh, the Earl Scruggs Music Festival. Have you heard people calling it Earl Fest yet? Oh, yes. And I think that's actually okay as far as the powers that be. They (laughs) they don't mind. We have uh, to to, to contrast it to Merle Fest, which was so important to me, uh, and it takes place a little ways from here. It's people think that everything in the North Carolina, Western North Carolina is real, you know, must be super close, but it's a good two plus hour drive up to, uh, you know, Deep Gap and, and uh, yeah, just uh, North Wilkesboro, where that has been going on for how many years? 30? Well, 1988, maybe, I think was the first. I think that's right. Yeah. And had just a huge impact on me. Um, I started going a 
right soon after college, so 93 or something. And then it was just every year I wouldn't miss it. Mm -hmm. And it was the seminal festival of my life. It was where I figured out Roots music. Uh, it was the first place I saw, not the first, it wasn't the first place I saw Doc Watson, but because of my, um, my attraction to Doc and his, the aura around him, it was the first place I saw Gillian Welch and David Rawlings for sure. Uh, Leftover Salmon first time, that blew my mind. Donna the Buffalo at the dance tent. Huh. Just, I was like, I didn't know music could sound like that. I was a young guy and I was just, so it set the course for a lot, but. Yeah, that's the soundtrack for a coming of age for sure. Uh-huh. Um, tell folks about your, just, uh, we'll do two sentences about our backgrounds <laughs> and why we're doing this radio microphone regional roots music thing uh, so that the other other's audience can know. So, so what's your two minute bio? Two minute bio. All right, North Carolinian, although I was born in Florida, lived here all my life, been interested in music and radio for all my life, and I've been on the radio since college, which is getting a little farther in the rear view now. Yeah, where was that, though? Chapel Hill. Oh, okay. And then I did other things. I wasn't in full-time in radio for until my mid-30s, but I had always kept a hand in it, and so I've been at WNCW for the most part pretty regularly for over a quarter century now in some way as a volunteer as a part-timer eventually a full-timer and you're and how has that connected you to the region's music like just give me your picture of why this area is special to you there is it is special and there's being ground zero for bluegrass is going to help no matter what so you've got just all of these legends that come from here these traditions of playing and you know passing down from generation to generation uh playing music as as entertainment as yeah, something that's a family that's, level thing family here. level thing it's just ingrained in the culture and so when you have those factors you know good things happen and and uh you know it may not be as on the map well definitely it's not on the map like a nashville but well, the only thing I was going to dispute was the ground zero comment because, hey, bluegrass was invented about two miles from my house in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, OK. All right. At least it got thrown to the world and the chemistry of the band that Earl Scruggs uh, found himself in as a 21 year old uh, blew up out of the Ryman Auditorium and the Grand Ole Opry, the stage of the Grand Ole Opry. That's very true. And uh, 75 plus years ago now, we're, we're really past the 75th birthday of the end of, uh, of uh, 1945 mm -hmm. Christmas season of 1945 is the first time. Earl Scruggs made his appearance with, with Bill Monroe. We're here celebrating Earl, and we'll, we should just keep cycling back to that because Earl Scruggs, man, uh, to, to get to know him a little bit, interview him a couple times, really study his, his life story is just astonishing. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep touching on that. Craig, all right, your turn. How about your two-minute uh, elevator speech on your history? Yeah, well, I'm a North Carolina native, and, and I've, very, I've, I've grown into loving that over the years. Grew up in the Triangle area, so Durham, and I would learn over time that it had its own music traditions, that Elizabeth Cotton had found her musical soul in, in Chapel Hill and Hillsborough and, and Carborough, um, that uh, Reverend Gary Davis had, had been a bit major musical force in Durham and the blues. And then uh, as I discovered Doc Watson after, you know, I guess sort of tail into college, just hearing his name, like, this guy's important. What is, what, what, why should I care? Uh, on a trip home for a summer, I made a trip out to uh, Pinehurst to see him and Jack Lawrence play outdoors uh, and the classic duo, 
uh, well, trio with Michael Coleman on the bass. And man, yeah, it really was like that. that there was a, it was a beauty of it, an integrity about it. Um, it took me a little longer to grow into loving his voice as much as the guitar, because then I was sort of ed up with the technique on the guitar. Um, but man, as a, you know, over the time I realized what a repertoire of classic American songs, important songs. So I've learned as a player, amateur player, folks, learned a lot of that. So after uh, college in Chicago and then some years in D.C. reporting on uh, other things besides music, I moved to Nashville on a healthcare beat because it was a hub there. And then that gave me a, a window on the Nashville music scene. So in 1998, I published my first written piece about music, and actually it was about the Americana format, the new, then new Americana idea, and how gratified I was to find a, a, a tent, a, a kind of mega genre that encompassed everything from bluegrass to singer-songwriter and Texas country music to car- outlaw country to classic country. Yeah, car wheels, you know, just, just like yeah. and you're, a watershed record for that period in time. Yeah, this uh, uh, Steve Earle and, and then collaborating with Del McCurry, the rise of Del McCurry, the rise of the bluegrass uh, uh, contingent that came in the wake of Ricky Skaggs turning his attention from country to bluegrass, Dolly Parton's bluegrass album, the Dixie Chicks Home album, Oh, Brother Arthur, all that stuff when I was either writing as a freelancer or at the Tennessee newspaper uh, was just like something historic and important and energetic and real and full of stories. So, um, and then I did print, video, and radio uh, for all these years. And then six years ago, hooked up with WMOT and uh, had the good fortune of, you know, reporting on Nashville and the region. But to stay connected to this area has been has meant more and more to me over the years. Uh, have been back to Merle Fest, but also other festivals. Mountain Song that the Steep Canyon Rangers do. Is that what they're, is that, have the name, the name right? Yes, Mountain Song, and this will be the last Mountain Song that you will see Woody Platt yeah. playing with the Rangers, I believe. So to get into some news and some, and some sort of like things going on, because that's what we're here to talk about, uh, that that did break this week. In fact, I'm proud to say that WMOT broke the news that uh, at, at, we knew about Woody's departure, but uh, Aaron Burdett was announced as the new formal guy, the new formal. And I wouldn't say he's a lead singer, not the lead singer. But what do you know about this situation? Well, it's been hush hush, except you just keep hearing people talk about it. And uh, we were asked by someone close to the Rangers, just as a you know, a fun sort of parlor question you know innocent question you're like so who do you think might be good for trying to fill Woody's shoes and uh both myself and Martin Anderson at WNCW our first answer was Aaron Burdett it didn't take long to think it's just like Aaron would fit well with them and they said oh really because they're really seriously considering Aaron Burdett right now Mm -hmm. and sure enough here you are and what's your skinny on Aaron Burdett's background Aaron is um not only uh a wonderful singer-songwriter with, uh, you know, a wide range of skills and his his uh, approach to Americana and roots music. And he's evolved over the years, and, and he's honed his songwriting, I believe, over the years. And he also is one of these guys that's impressive on all of the other levels that you know him. As a general contractor, he builds green homes, and, mm-hmm. you know, he's somebody that you could probably plug into any given situation and he would 
you know, find a way to lead it, you know. Oh, that's a nice, uh, that's a nice testament. Yeah. And he lives about, uh, you know, just a few miles up the road here. That's right. Saluda. I can probably see the mountain that the town's on. Uh, we are sitting outside here at the Tryon Equestrian Center. Uh, you can hear maybe a little bit of workshop, a little bit of sound check behind us. Um, we're sitting next to a, a beautiful outdoor horse rink for show riding. Um, this facility, just to, just because it just occurred to me to sort of describe the setting, um, very appropriate for a music festival because the big arena is where the main stage is and there's a plaza for a smaller stage, there's restaurants on site, there's cabins, there's camping, and then these big old horse bars. And shopping. And a little shopping, some boutiques. Um, and it's got a kind of, it's rustic, it's elegant, but it's not like effete. It's, it's rustic, and I think it's gonna really work. Um, back to Aaron Burdett, because I think I wanna play some music by him. We just, we, we've covered him and, and I've, I've profiled him because I just admire him. He has trended from a little more electric to lately, at least, a lot more acoustic and bluegrass. A lot more. But uh, the essence of the songs, you can always recognize it's an Aaron Burdett song from, you know, the second bar. But um, the context, I think, I think he's really found it, the, the best context for his music. Yeah, his, his voice is very mellow and very beautiful that it penetrates. And I was talking to Graham Sharp, the banjo player from the Steeps, you know, knowing what a big decision this was. First, do we stay together as a five-piece? Do we, is this the end of the band? Woody was there 23 years ago when they formed, and it was just like, he kind of fronted the band. All those guys have charisma, but he, Woody kind of fronted the band. And so with the reputation they've built here and globally, especially via their touring with, with Steve Martin, I mean, this is one of the bluegrass bands that's reached more people in the last 10 years than any other because Steve Martin picked his banjo career back up and has been very aggressive about it and has played you know he, the, Aaron Burdett got to play th multiple nights at the Hollywood Bowl with Steve Martin 18,000 people on his shakedown tour that's crazy yeah and Aaron is just as humble and as a, a normal everyday guy as as it gets too yeah. which is wonderful it's, to see him kind of get there to a level that's really, you know, that's some rare air where they're at right now. And like you say, Steep Canyon Rangers is is a torchbearer for a wide tent of like, you know, music that syncs up with that from bluegrass to newgrass to all of the roots and acoustic music that is that is doing quite well nowadays. We got shows to play. Touchdown in Charlotte in the time it looked impossible. We're running with the Rangers, counting down gates. So the Steep Canyon Rangers are based in Brevard, North Carolina, as is my friend Sarah Siskind, an extraordinary talent that I push on people all the time. Yes, you should know Sarah Siskind. Everyone should know Sarah Siskind, who's had a, a, a maybe a behind-the-scenes career written 
toured with Bonnie Vare, written for Alison Krauss, and uh, and she's had she's got a really just we we, we won't we won't play her in this show, but man, she's she's something else. Um, tell me about s- some other bands from the a region around Asheville that are you do you think tell the story of the area yeah you know it's hard to to start this without talking about Asheville itself and mm-hmm. and it just continues to overperform you know it's it's been punching above its weight for a long while now and it doesn't seem to be slowing down even though covid you know uh, i'm sure it didn't do any favors like everywhere but uh, so many different types of artists and music it's not any one scene at all um, it's got a lot of great diversity you can find examples of everything from international uh, rap, hip-hop, uh, acoustic, funk, uh, and you know you can just I can think of artists that are pretty good in a lot of those categories without trying too hard. Mm-hmm. But River Wireless is yeah. uh, one of my favorites. They've been around, I don't know how you would describe them, sort of like an uh, art folk band. I, that's absolutely right. I have described them as the talking heads of Appalachia. That sounds great, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're just um, wonderful. They're, uh, you know, you would listen to their records and you think they're a studio band, and they are, but they pull it off live, too. They're all excellent musicians, and they've been at it for, what, a decade now? They were also a college friend band. Exactly, from Appalachian State. Mm-hmm. And... Um, They've got a lot of miles under their belt. You might not have heard them or seen them yet, but their latest record is a standout. It's, it's one of my favorites yeah. in the past Monof- year. Monoflora. Yeah. I think it's their fourth full length. The Where I Got on the Train was the, band, was the record We All the Light. Oh, yeah. And I couldn't believe that a music could go that far down the road of kind of modern percussive trippy almost like minimalism drony some some textures that i personally love while somehow still being a folk music album yeah and then the vocal harmonies were ridiculous yeah that's a real superpower for them Mm -hmm. those harmonies are so so choice they just add a whole other level of goodness to all of those songs they were so excited i came to meet them in the yeah the spring uh, on a field trip out here, so of 2022, because Monoflora was about to drop, at, drop, and uh, they were so excited that they gotten, a, they had just gotten um, the green light to play a showcase at Americana Fest, which will have happened by the time folks hear this. But uh, they were delighted. I'm like, well, welcome to Nashville. One of the best, the best show I ever saw them do was in this pristine theater at Americana Fest in Nashville with this hyper ridiculous sound system. So all the nuance of what oh. they do was really clear all the drumming and and all of that and uh the uh percussive fiddle the the pizzicato and man there's something else so we'll play a track by them excellent river wireless it is on your soapbox in your sunday school
Okay, we're here on Southern Strings and Stories. A special edition. Yeah, just... A a naked podcasting cross-marketing scheme, folks. Full disclosure, Craig's idea. Love the title. (laughs) Thank you, sir. (laughs) All right, let's go to Nashville now. I mean... There's a lot that people know about Nashville. It's, it's you know, an open book in so many ways. It's writ large across mm-hmm. the music scene in this country and its history of music. But tell us things that we don't know about Nashville that are interesting or you think we should know. Mm, man, it's, it's like uh, I, I've often said that I regard my, my beat like a baseball writer. And Nashville's like the 1970s Yankees. I mean, there's just too many stories. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Um, and this year, just to look at kind of recent, recent history, Brennan Lee releasing this remarkable Obsessed with the West album with Asleep at the Wheel, 50-plus year, venerable, important roots band that's per- perpetuated Western swing. And she writes this material that sounds like Cindy Walker herself wrote it for Bob Wills and the Western Playboys. Mm. Uh, that's been one project that's been extraordinary. Molly Tuttle is here this weekend at at the Earl Scruggs Festival, um, as she has been all over the place this summer, touring on her Crooked Tree album with a band that she put together from her peers, her close peers in Nashville. Kyle Tuttle on banjo, Bronwyn Keith Hines on fiddle, Shelby Means on bass, Dominic Leslie on the mandolin. And Molly, after finding several voices, several versions of herself, made an album that took her back to the bluegrass music that she grew up on and that got her reputation and got her in the mix to win two consecutive Guitar Player of the Year awards at IBMA. And we've talked about that record on our stage. We play it at, you know, a lot. And she's one of the great stories. We may circle back to her, but she's yeah. one of the many high-profile national stories. Yeah, don't sleep on Molly's guitar playing. Just, you know, she played the set yesterday, and I think one of the things that I'm impressed about that band is as uh, song-focused as she is and, and it is, they also, and this record is, you know, traditional-ish, the band really takes off. The band really trips out with instrumental playing, um, and I think that that may be some of Kyle's influence as a trippy banjo player who loves to play jazz and out music. But when they do a tune like, uh, is it Castanea, Castahea, Castalea, uh, that beautiful minor key, sort of almost Spanish influence thing, they take that for five or six minutes out to instrumental yeah. Wonderland, and it's mm. phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but the artist that's kind of newcomer that we're watching at WMOT that I just spent an hour with talking to and that I'm going to figure out how to put on you know, our page soon is Christina Vane. Um, what do you, I'll we love take my take. Christina Vane. Planner? We've We've got a... A song of hers on our upcoming live compilation and she played in our studio within the past year I can't tell you exactly when but she's been playing out in the region some recently yep. getting great reviews I think she played with Fireside Collective at a show here in the past month that people are still talking about and uh, her backstory is is just wonderful to hear about her growing up in different countries um, and then coming to America and falling in love with rootsy blues music, especially, mm-hmm. which seemed like the last, uh, you know, the least international sort of thing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I guess it was inevitable because she's so good at it. And, you know, it's it's like in her bones or something. You can just tell when she plays. And she's also got a lot of pop hooks, too. She's got some, mm. she's got, uh, she's not 
fully arrived. I guess she's she's not, you know, uh, what she will be. I think, but it's a fantastic start, and yep. you should check out her music, especially for blues fans. Uh, she'll play banjo. She'll play slide. Yeah, slide guitar was the first uh, instrument she heard, and the first instrument she adapted to where she wanted to find out what was up with the blues, and. She is at least trilingual, if not speaks four languages. Her main growing up was in Italy, was in, was in like northern Italy and uh, Paris because her parents were bankers. One is American with Italian background, I believe it was, and then her mom, I think, is Guatemalan. Right. So real global family. And if you heard her speak, you wouldn't know. She speaks accentless American English. Um, but she described being, you know, in her school growing up as uh, running with the international kids. That she, that they spoke English most of the time or, or, or French. But um, then she goes to Princeton to study, uh, and she winds up studying uh, comparative literature. So she was reading, I mean, and to, to, to talk to her was really fun because she's a very deep intellectual person. She very analytical, had a great perspective on her journey and a deep respect for not trying to just barge in and start appropriating, to use the, kind uh. of to par, the parlance. And she was really uh, kind of took steps to, I asked her, you don't sing. I thought, I, th- I said, your voice sounds very honest to who you are and not trying to kind of, you know, here I am down in the Delta trying to do the thing. And you're not going and trying to make a record in Muscle Shoals with the old cats to sort of prove your credentials. She's an independent artist whose stuff is very minimalist. She's just, she's a folk singer, but you can tell, and I just find her uh, uh, kind of beguiling. Her voice is just seductive and interesting and very her. And I cannot wait to see where she goes. Uh, and, and really, it, no, not trying to throw shade on the blues, but it's a, a genre that has a lot of well-worn tropes at mm-hmm. this point. And like you pointed to, Craig, she's refreshing it with her approach. She's not trying to copy something from 50 years ago. And the blues is making this important new kind of configuration or rapprochement or something with Americana music, which was born out of an alternative country format in the 90s when country radio, 2,100 plus stations around the country, in the era of radio consolidation, corporate ownership, small playlist, program directors from the corporate headquarters kind of era wouldn't play real country music or bluegrass at all or anything related to folk music anymore. And so that Americana thing got started. And here in the last decade, we've had an overdue conversation about uh, where the black origins of our folk music, our country music, our rock and roll, uh, how do they play out in, in t- today? And how does Americana acknowledge it? It's a bigger issue that we probably want to get into, but I feel like Christine is one of the artists that is like, I'm white, I'm European-American, but I'm not going to just act like th- that I own more of a share of this than, I, than I'm entitled to. And, and, I, and I, she said, I do not, I would never try to play like her heroes, um, and like Lightning Hopkins, uh, like Blind Willie Johnson's one she's really particularly fond of. But the respect is really important. It's just wonderful to have artists from that far back in our history, really at the dawn of 
recorded mm-hmm. music and to have them and that flame still be passed and the torch be held by someone so young she's what 30 mm-hmm. and uh just making it uh current uh it's just it's just a wonderful phenomenon As I said before, here we are at Earl Scruggs Memorial Festival, Earl Fest, we'll call it if we if you want to. And um, man, give me your your kind of rationale for the Earl Scruggs uh, resurgence of interest and, and and identity here in the area, especially starting with the Earl Scruggs Center down the road in Shelby. The way I would see it, and maybe this is right, but you've got a, a legend, uh, an icon, and decades on down the road. People still know it, but your your region, your city, your community hasn't really done anything to make it known to the next generations that, wow, you really need to know this. You need to, to understand who Earl Scruggs is and, and a lot of the great artists from the immediate region. And so sometime in the last decade, I forget how far back it was, but Cleveland County opened the Earl Scruggs Museum, which was in the past 10 years, I believe. Yeah, I want to peg it right about within a year after Earl died. So I'm thinking 2014, I should have looked it up. I, full disclosure, folks, I worked with the Earl Scruggs Center in Shelby from its you know, sort of blueprints to its opening, uh, producing the films for the, the center that you see, the visitor films and the, the content there and work with the content team. So I have a past interest, no current, no current connections other than they're friends of mine and I'm a supporter and believer. And it's in the old uh, Cleveland County Courthouse in the center of the square in Shelby, which was um, kind of a dried up town in, uh, as the turn of the century came through. And a bunch of people from Shelby, uh, long t- lifers and many generations, realized that, the, the, that Shelby needed uh, some new identity and some, something new to do because the textile industry uh, and some of the furniture had really moved on overseas, and they were struggling for jobs and struggling for an economy. So they built, they raised money to open a, uh, to revive an old movie house that became the Don Gibson Theater because Don Gibson, country singer, was a, a native son. And that, and they, the same group followed with uh, the more ambitious Earl Scruggs Center, working with the Scruggs family, with uh, the late great Gary Scruggs, Earl's son, and um, and Randy, and uh, really built something special. They have did. you have you seen it d- generate excitement, visitation? Yes, uh, people are always stopping in, especially people from out of town. Uh, it's it's a, it's a real easy drive from places like Charlotte, so major population in uh, east of Cleveland County, and and there's just a day trip to come to the Scruggs Center and more because, like you say, you may catch a show at the Don Gibson or. 
everything else sort of starts to snowball at that point and and the town has you know gotten a brand you know they've got earl scruggs now it's like okay we've got don we've got earl we've got all these other people too mm-hmm. uh they may not have a museum or a, a theater but we're going to celebrate them in a bigger way and so signage uh really tasteful uh, artwork on signage talking about historic moments for the music scene and the artists in the region and so forth so and there's shows there and there's picking parties on the lawn right and exactly and they're doing events there in the uh the upstairs there's there's a stage where you can listen to shows you know maybe 50 people or so can can comfortably fit up there and then events on the lawn like you say so they've kind of righted the ship you know they saw the writing on the wall back then they were like this town's going to dry up and they were right and so they all got behind and pulled in that same direction and good things are happening i think it's just becoming more and more of a thing that that you can check out what's happening at the scrug center with new exhibits and events and uh it's something that people ha- take pride in because for a long time the area was just kind of sandbagging, yeah. sort of, yeah. you know, treading water. Yeah, now the square is lively. There's restaurants and shops, and there's a great brewing company. What's it called? Yep, Newgrass. How could I forget the Newgrass Brewing mm-hmm. Company? I, I was like, what's their name? Heartland? Heart... Yeah. Newgrass. Duh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, yeah, very intentional as they yeah, chose that name. Absolutely. Well, hey, we saw Sam Bush here last night. He was the headlining closer of Friday night. Played a big 90-minute set, and it was wonderful, man. Uh, it And it occurred to me, it was the first time I'd seen the full Sam Bush show since well before the pandemic. The first with Wes Corbett on banjo, um, who replaced Scott Vestal. And when he said, you know, howdy, music lovers. Oh, it took me back 30 years. I was like, the, the new grass is with us. <laughs> and um, Jerry Douglas is playing today. Bela Fleck played yesterday with an all-star band. Uh, his current bluegrass heart band. So the the and and one thing I was going to mention was during that, especially during the during Bela's bluegrass heart band show, several times several different people referred to Earl Scruggs as the most important bluegrass musician of all time, just flat out, just without hesitation. And it was and it's yeah, important. the goat is, discussion is alive and well. Yeah. Um, and it is easy to forget, 75 years on, how monumental that moment in, in music history was with the explosion of uh, Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, the Flatten Scruggs, and just how pivotal it was yeah. and, and how it reverberates today. I mean, this is one example of, of how the legacy of Earl Scruggs can you know, be, be right here in front of us. And let's zoom in a little bit on that biography you just described. He's with Bill Monroe for two and a half years, forming as the seminal first bluegrass boys. Bill Monroe went on for a long career with many, many, many band members who were bluegrass boys. But Earl leaves with Lester Flatt to form Flatt and Scruggs. And they go for 20 years. And through the 50s and 60s, they're the most identified, best traveled, most loved, biggest audience bluegrass band in the business. They had business savvy with Earl's wife, Louise, who was the manager. They got on TV. They got on two different TV series. They were ubiquitous. Hearing the uh, Beverly Hillbillies theme was one of the things that got Bela Fleck to go, what is the banjo? And he's one of many hundreds of thousands who heard the same sound. And then then when, when Earl gets more interested in playing more diverse music and bringing in songs from outside the the bluegrass circle and wants to do Bob Dylan songs and do folk songs. Um, 
That leads to a little tension with Lester Flat, and they finally part ways right around 1970, and what does Earl do? He keeps on as a live act with his sons in the Earl Scruggs Review, which in my feeling is like the real first new grass band. Yeah. Where the banjo is predominant, where they add a drummer, they add they, they get to some rock and roll feelings because the sons, Randy, Gary, and Steve, are in the band. They're listening to rock and roll. They're listening to traditional music. They revere Doc Watson. It's just such a beautiful story. And so Earl's third act is with this really progressive, funky, rockin', improvisational And people look band. askance. A lot of traditionalists were yep. wondering what has got into him. <laughs> yeah. And then as he ages, he becomes a, just a really beautiful mentor and supporter of every young musician that wants to play music, no matter how modern, no matter how trad. Earl Scruggs would, would give them a support. And I think the reason people talk about Earl as being the most important bluegrass musician of all time is not only does he reinvent his instrument, but he overshadows Bill Monroe in the mentorship and spirit and eclectic. This music is open to everyone. Sure. And when you think about Earl, he's so pivotal, pivotal and he did so much at the right time. So when you have the greatest of all time, discussions yeah you can point to current artists that are of equal stature arguably with earl have technical ability have uh inventiveness and are doing magnificent things but you could say that earl was the michael jordan Mm -hmm. and now who's the lebron (laughs) right they're apples to oranges bela Bela would would be the first to say that there would you know he wouldn't be here without earl and earl's continued influence over his life even to the point of composing orchestral uh concertos for banjo and orchestra that he dedicated and kind of modeled on earl scruggs so you know it's it's a beautiful ongoing story and here it is on you know day two again of of Earl Festival and uh, the the eclecticism here. This is a very new grass, forward-leaning festival. One of the bands I wanted to ask you about from this area that's on the bill, um, playing playing uh, played yesterday. Fireside Collective. Yeah, I love those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, young band. They've been making music for oh, just a couple of records or so now. Fairly new, but they're out there touring out west. They're full time. Got a brand new record across the divide, which is really refreshing. I like to say there's tons and tons of sunshine in Fireside Collective's mm-hmm. music. Um, forward-leaning, adventuresome, but they still know their roots. Yep. They had a kind of a light percussion kit, kind of a cajon, a couple cymbals. That was a first. I think that was one of the very first times they've ever done that. Really? Okay. It was here. Yep. A lot of bands have added that, but so did the, so did the, so did the Osmond Brothers back in the day. I mean, the, the drums and bluegrass is not a new, new thing. And you can kind of dial up or dial down the, yeah. the way that that takes you. Uh, with Sam Bush, it's a full kit by a jazz drummer, jazz fusion drummer, uh, playing full tilt. Um, and with uh, with Fireside, it was more subtle. They really remind me of the infamous String Dusters at certain ways and times. I think their aesthetic, the way the music hits you, it's it's gonna have that comparison is gonna come up a lot. I think I think that's a good one.
So let's wrap up the conversation about artists who are here and artists that have meant something to me from this, or at least in this case from North Carolina, not the area, but the Ch uh, Chatham Rabbits mm -hmm. is uh, the married duo of uh, Sarah and Austin McCombie. And uh, I've known about them for some time. I was really loved hearing them yesterday and they have a very new album out um, that uh, I don't think got as, wasn't sort of, it needed to make a bigger splash because I think these are, really quintessential Carolina voices. There's a storytelling that reminds me of the literary tradition around here. They're not of the mountains, but they clearly tap into the vibe of Appalachia. She plays banjo, claw hammer style. He plays acoustic guitar. Their voices are beautifully locked together. What's your take on Chatham Rabbits? All right, love the Chatham Rabbits, and they're going places. Yeah. They have, like you said, that literate side. So their music is going to be alternately humorous, insightful. Uh, like you say, it's just going to be good music with harmonies and songwriting. But they come from a place that is, I don't want to say bookish, but it's, it's going to make you, uh, you know, instantly recognize what sort of deep thought they're putting into all of their music. Sarah's real charismatic on stage and very funny, but I'll, I'm, but the but the bookish the bookish theme is what I the song that I really have had on my mind and that I got to hear him play yesterday, and it's a based on I want to know more about the backstory, but it's based on a uh, apparently during the uh, depression one of the Works Progress initiatives was a mobile library. A, le a gifting library, not a lending library, that would travel through the hills and hollers of Appalachia just delivering books to people. And they wrote this song uh, called Abigail, and I just adore it. Right. And their backstory is as adorable as they are because they <laughs> left corp corporate America. Oh, really? I know Austin did, at least. Yeah. And started music, you know, fairly late for what they're doing now it's like if they had been doing this since they were teenagers watch out Joe Kendrick, so good to sit here outdoors at uh, Earl Scruggs Festival with you. Yes, it's a blast. Craig, um, so much appreciate your hospitality and having me uh, on and doing this together. I'm looking forward to your book panel 
I think you were up there. That's right. Yes, we've got some authors, including David Menconi, who wrote the book about North Carolina music. Um, And it's an amazing volume. Just came out a year or two ago. And recommend that to everybody. Um, Before we go, we've been talking about storytelling and the music. What led you to call your show Southern Songs and Stories? Stories are just part and parcel with all of the music. This is such a you know a form of uh, music that I'm covering largely is is exactly what we've been talking about in this show so you get lots of ballads and and stories in the music and this is the story on my podcast of all of the artists stories as well so absolutely had to do it they come from all over people who do this and who can get on these stages they are sort of touched they're sort of like the music t- finds them, the music seizes them, and they can't say no. It's a hard living. Um, and the, my respect for them, as I've learned over the years, how hard it is to travel, how hard it is to pay the bills. Uh, there are certainly breakthroughs, and some of them are very, very deserved. But uh, they're servants of something bigger than we are. Indeed. Well said. Yeah, they're not doing it for the money. And if the money comes terrific but you know there's a lot of people that do fairly well that learn how to operate in this economy which often involves things like patreons and whatnot yeah and teaching workshops um, songwriting retreats Uh, we've seen them get entrepreneurial and it's wonderful well joe good luck at uh, the great wncw one of the great radio stations of america thank you craig high praise Earl Scruggs' famous composition, Foggy Mountain Breakdown, closes out Southern Strings and Stories with Craig Havikhurst. Originally recorded in 1949 by Flatten Scruggs and the Foggy Mountain Boys, it was used as background music in the 1967 motion picture Bonnie and Clyde. Decades later, in 2002, Earl Scruggs would win a Grammy Award for a 2001 performance which featured Steve Martin on second banjo. Information on all the songs played in this episode are in the show notes. Big thanks to Craig Havikhurst for the concept of this episode and for all his work in making it become a reality. Note that we recorded our conversation on the morning of the second day of the inaugural three-day Earl Scruggs Music Festival, and although we referred to the festival by the shorthand Earl Fest here, we later found out that Scruggs Fest is the more appropriate contraction. Southern Songs and Stories is a part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes of this podcast on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. We are glad you have listened to this episode and would be even more so were you to share it with someone. It is super easy to follow us on your podcast platform of choice, and then it will only take a minute to give it a good rating and where it is an option, a review. Great ratings and reviews especially will make Southern songs and stories and the artist it profiles more likely to be found by more people just like you. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW. Our theme songs are by Joshua Ming. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artist who make it. <laughs>